think back for a moment to 2005. Professors around the world were worried about a growing epidemic in education that was supposedly dumbing down popular understandings of knowledge. This epidemic was Wikipedia. Educators largely laughed this off as an inaccurate mess, but students were citing it in their papers. As one writing instructor posted to an email list back then, am I being a stick in the mud for being horrified by students' use of this source? Attitudes about Wikipedia have changed. Today, a growing number of professors have embraced it as a teaching tool. To be clear, they're still not asking students to cite it as a source. Instead, they task students with writing Wikipedia entries as homework. In that way, they kind of expose the student's work to a global audience and give students an outside edit by an army of Wikipedia volunteers. To show how far the acceptance has come, there's even a new peer-reviewed academic journal about using Wikipedia in higher education. Hi, I'm Jeff Young, and today on the Ed Surge On Air podcast, I talk with one of the biggest proponents of the power of Wikipedia in the classroom, Robert Cummings. He's an associate professor of writing and rhetoric at the University of Mississippi. A while back, he wrote a book on the topic called Lazy Virtues, Teaching Writing in the Age of Wikipedia, and he reflects on how this crowdsourced encyclopedia changed his teaching and how it fits into today's debates about fake news. We'll have the conversation right after this. This episode of the Ed Surge On Air podcast is brought to you by the Ed Surge Next newsletter. Get the latest news and views about higher education technology each week. Sign up for the Ed Surge Next newsletter. Just visit edsurge.com and click on subscribe. All right, my guest today is Robert Cummings, Chair and Associate Professor of Writing and Rhetoric at the University of Mississippi and author of the book Lazy Virtues, Teaching Writing in the Age of Wikipedia. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me to speak with you. I, I guess I just wanted to, to start off. How did you first come to to use Wikipedia in your teaching? The reputation at the time of Wikipedia was in the dumps, right? I mean, people were joking about, oh, you can't trust this thing. It's like just maybe it's just nobody's in their basement writing nonsense. It, it was not a trusted source. That's absolutely right. You got to remember that in that time period, Web 2.0 was a revolutionary concept. So we were all really used to web pages, which we downloaded. But the idea that we would contribute content to the Internet was still pretty unusual. So when people found out that Wikipedia was edited by everyone who just desired to edit, um, immediately that was a conflict with the way knowledge is valued in higher education. So, you know, to shorthand is, is what, we're calling uh, the Wikipedia process is what I would call public review. And of course, the higher education process is what we call peer review. So only a limited number of people who are qualified experts are able to comment on knowledge in the peer review process. But in the public review process, everyone's invited to contribute. What we're learning over time is that, of course, Wikipedia has and still has problems with accuracy and relevance. If you go to a slowly trafficked area on Wikipedia, you might find uh, spotty quality. In fact, you definitely will find spotty quality. I can point you to some areas where you'd find spotty quality. Hmm. But if you go to a highly trafficked area and the process is working, then you do find uh, high quality information and you and the immediacy and the availability of that high quality information um, 
makes it a compelling proposition, and that's why it has endured even and overcome a lot of significant obstacles. In fact, if you look at Wikipedia today, and if you just think about it as a web platform, it is it is not really kept up in a lot of significant ways. It, it looks a little dated, right? The look. It looks it. very dated. It doesn't incorporate video well. Um, there's a lot of things about the, the Wikimedia platform that people who work on it are quite aware of and trying to improve, but it still comes down to discussions about text. And when you're having a discussion about long-form text, it really remains uh, a strong platform for that. It seems like more popular right now than teaching with Wikipedia, although I hear that's growing in, in interest by professors, is kind of adopting um, open education resources. Um, sure. And and I guess is there a way – I guess you see this – you do see this as related in some way. Absolutely. It's a continuing spectrum. So teaching with Wikipedia would be an open educational practice. And so an open educational practice would be classroom activities where students and teachers collaborate around creating openly licensed materials that have an educational purpose. Half step back in terms of that complexity would be the creation and the use of OER. So typically, an open educational resource is thought of something which a faculty member still creates. Now, the faculty member may take existing OER and edit it for his or her classroom, or may take that existing OER wholesale and use it in his or her classroom. But it's still usually in that conversation, it's a peer, it's an expert that's creating the learning material. Um, so the OER conversation is 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 very um, uh, energized right now. Um, it's a complex conversation, but I tend to focus on aspects of OER uh, depending on the audience. So if I'm talking to students about OER, I focus on the. I usually tend to focus on cost because OER either either free or much cheaper typically. Um, than um, a, a traditionally copyrighted textbooks. And so students are initially most interested in cost, as are their parents, mm -hmm. and for, for all the right reasons, because higher education costs are completely out of hand. And uh, it's very difficult to, uh, for me as an instructor, there's very little I can do about my institution's tuition charges. But if I get involved in OER, I can do something about textbooks, which are pretty significant. And if you look at the community college environment, textbook costs compared to tuition costs can be very significant because the tuition costs are typically lower in the community college environment. So when talking to the students and parents, I tend to talk about cost. When I talk with faculty about OER, I tend to talk about – the best way to put it is just better. Better teaching and learning resources a better teaching and learning experience. And what we find is that the reason why it's a better teaching and learning experience can be tracked to a couple different factors. One important factor is that the content in the course through the OER process tends to be much more customized. So the teachers are teaching with texts and resources that are tailored to the outcomes of that course. And when they use a traditionally copyrighted textbook, usually the because of market pressures, the publisher has tried to put in as much content as they possibly can to make it uh, to make sure that there's no teacher out there 
that wouldn't want to adopt that text. Sure. It's like a mass, a mass product. Yeah. It becomes a very large kitchen sink uh, approach. And the faculty member has usually become very accustomed to slaloming through that textbook and picking chapters here and there that fit their particular approach to that class. And what we've forgotten over time, I think, it's fair to say, is how confusing that is for a learner. Um, because you're already in a state of confusion because you're being you're introduced to, to new concepts. But when you have to slalom through a textbook to get to the information you need, it's an additional barrier. And then if you're a teacher that's using uh, slides or tests or other ancillary materials that the textbook publisher has created, then the confusion is even greater. So when you shift to OER, everything that's in the class content has direct relevance to the outcomes because the instructor has put it there and wouldn't put it there unless it has that one-to-one correspondence. Now, we also find that students do better with OER because the materials are available to them on the first day. And as you know, um, because textbooks are so expensive, students um, have several different options. One is they can buy it new, which they rarely do because of the cost. They can buy it used, which is a much more popular option. More popular still is renting, and then equally popular perhaps is stealing. Mm. So illegal downloads play a big role. But whatever that is, um, how the the student has to acquire that text, and usually that takes time. And the faculty find that the first day or the first several days are lost because students in practice don't have the text. That's not a problem with OER because it's a freely shared resource. So texts are available immediately. Texts are customized and have a correspondence to the outcomes. Um, and then faculty are going to know their texts all that much better because they have edited them to make sure they fit their class. So for those are kind of the initial reasons when I talk to faculty about OER that they become interested is because they know that it's going to be a better teaching and learning experience. And do you think this open teaching practices, I mean, do you think it actually changes the way you teach? Yes, it has for me. Absolutely. Could you talk more about that? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, some folks who hold a foundationalist view of, of teaching and learning um, are going to say that the teacher is the authority the teacher is the trained expert, and the teacher delivers the knowledge to the classroom, and the classroom consumes the knowledge that the teacher delivers. And that's just the perspective, and that is what it is. I, it's not my perspective. I don't, you know, others have that, and that's fine. Those people who have that perspective, though, are probably going to not jump on board with the idea of collaborating. Um, around creating the classroom content and using open educational practices. In my experience, teaching with open educational resources and open educational practices, asking my students to jump in and help create content, um, it, it fulfills the purpose that I see in my job, which is to, I like to say to my students that if you're a college graduate, you're not only an information consumer, you're an information producer. Mm. And so what I should be doing in my classroom is structuring it so that we practice information production together. And I give you uh, a place to do that where you have guidance in creating that information. 
Um, so open educational practices respect that type of collaboration and that type of practice for producing information. I like also, in particular, teaching on Wikipedia because it allows my students to choose their own emphasis. So we're able to design assignments that say, you know, if you're a nursing student and you want to write about medical topics on Wikipedia, that's fine. If you're an engineering student and you want to write about construction, that's fine. You know, whatever your field is, you know, there's, there's, there's a way that uh, you can pursue your passions and I can help you in terms of developing better content for audiences. So it's it's a more collaborative theory of learning. Um, I didn't start in this uh, uh, with that end goal in mind. I just found it in the journey, and it was it wasn't until other people asked sort of a similar question to what you're asking, which is, well, why do you like this? That I had to sort of sit down and think about the theory behind it. I just sort of jumped in, and I found it to be a much more active classroom. I enjoyed. Um, help finding my students motivated to deliver information to an audience. Then they became concerned with writing details. Then they became concerned with grammar. Then they became concerned with organization the, because they wanted to be effective in terms of delivering a message for an audience. Yeah, they want if they're going to bother to write this Wikipedia article, they don't want it to just get erased by some Wikipedia editor because they didn't it didn't follow the rules or because they didn't find exactly. it exactly high quality. Exactly. So they I, exactly I heard I heard message. Wikipedia editors can be pretty pretty strict. <laughs> this is true. I mean, <laughs> one thing you've got to do with Wikipedia editors, and this is education projects have had problems with this. Um, poorly designed education projects can wreak havoc in Wikipedia because it shifts the the it can if they're improperly designed, they artificially shift the motivation. So students will be given a, an assignment. A bad assignment is one that asks a lot of students to do editing without really understanding the Wikipedia community, and they make edits which are damaging, and then they have a grade motivation for making sure that those edits stick. Oh, wow. And so then the Wikipedia editors are running about trying to take down the bad content, and so and they're legitimately trying to take down the bad content because maybe it's a copyright violation or because – as I mentioned earlier, it was it was just ill-conceived as original research or a novel proposition. At any rate, those folks on Wikipedia, they're volunteers. I mean, they're working on Wikipedia because they, they care about the content and they care about the community. But if you uh, if you if you have a badly a poorly designed assignment that doesn't understand Wikipedia and then you motivate students to contribute poorly it's sort of like weaponizing, um, you know, ill-conceived content, and it can be it can be really bad. So um, that's so interesting. You're essentially, yeah, you're you're basically taking this um, this kind of like a uh, captive audience of students and like creating a problem on purpose. Like you, right. you may not intentionally do it, but some professors might do. That's so no, and so this is what we do with Wiki Education Foundation. So this, you know, our foundation um, promotes well thought out. Uh, 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 assignments for teaching with Wikipedia. So then that gets back to this idea of like sharing what we know about teaching with Wikipedia effectively. Um, a bigger idea is helping different disciplines understand their connection to uh, publicly public-reviewed knowledge. 
So, for instance, if you're in a medical field, it's pretty obvious that there's there's a great deal of value to peer-reviewed research in advancing medicine. But there's also a lot of value in public-reviewed knowledge and making sure that the public understands medicine from a treatment perspective. Uh, Wikipedia can play a great role um, in making sure that people have access to content about medicine. And then but other fields are coming around to understanding that and partnering with Wiki Education Foundation to help their faculty and their practitioners uh, improve their relationship with the public and translate their peer-reviewed research to a public audience. So I understand, you know, it's, you mentioned that there's some faculty resistance occasionally to this idea, but what about student resistance? Have you seen any of that where it's like, I just want you to tell me what the answer is. Don't, don't ask me to write the answer. Yeah. So, the foundationalist perspective um, is is not necessarily just one that's advocated by you know uh, prof- the prof- professoriate. It's it's you know many learners feel the same way too, and they feel like, hey, um, I've, I found this in a writing classroom with using peer review. Uh, you know, they may resist the idea of their peers evaluating their work, and then they'll further be angry at an instructor who employs that method. Because they say, hey, I'm paying tuition for you, the expert, to deliver your review of my work. Um, And so the idea that knowledge is something that's produced collaboratively is antithetical to that approach. Yeah. So um, it – I just – usually I'll – I'll just work with people where they are, but I try to remind them that when they leave the university and they go to a workplace, presumably – Knowledge is going to be produced collaboratively. There will be some, in most situations, a superior that they report to, but they're they're very rarely going to be asked for uh, their sole input on a problem. They're going to be working in teams, and those teams are going to have to work together. Hmm. It just feels like with this um, recent election and the kind of discussions of fake news these days as high up as the president of the United States – um, accusations of it, sometimes warranted, sometimes not. It seems like we're having this kind of, some I think have even called it a war on truth or difficulty agreeing on on facts. And, and, and it seems like Wikipedia has been this, you mentioned laboratory, has been this project trying to wrestle with that very question. Do you find this a very kind of timely thing as in our social moment right now? Oh, unquestionably. So the Wiki Education Foundation has written about this this very topic. Um, it's funny. We talked a little bit about how when Wikipedia was first came out and it was first reviewed in 2002, it was seen and had been derided as inaccurate. But now we've come full circle because Wikipedia is one of the few examples and perhaps the most successful example of online collaboration around fact and verifying facts with people who have differing points of view. Mm. So in so many social media camps, people just go to find a reaffirmation of what they believed before they logged on. In Wikipedia, that doesn't happen because of the encyclopedia format. Plenty of arguments and plenty of spats between people, but there's an overall process for determining what we can agree on as a common set of facts and then walking away from the things that we can't agree on. Um, In fact, 
you know, pri- so so the fake news context, um, you know, that people creating deliberately creating false stories and then sharing those. Wikipedia has now transitioned from a community which, as I said, was you know, derided for its inaccuracies to being one that has a relatively functional process that's broad-based and collaborative for agreeing on facts. One of the last things I wrote about in Lazy Virtues was how teaching with Wikipedia uh, teaches our students a successful model for collaboration over the internet, especially with people who might have opposing opinions, and that if we're going to, to help the next generation solve problems like global warming, that type of collaboration among people who disagree and have different perspectives but can come to some mutual understanding will be essential because the really tough problems are the ones that are distributed and everybody comes at them from a slightly different perspective and they may not get everything they want, but if they can at least agree upon the facts that surround those problems, then we can make progress towards some type of solution. Great. Well, thank you so much for all the time and in, in, in talking about these practices. Uh, I think people will be interested to to check out your tips and to think more about this if they haven't checked it out already. No, thank you for the opportunity. I'm glad to talk to you. This has been the Ed Surge on Air podcast. As regular listeners know, we switch off each week between higher education and K-12 topics. And starting this month, we have a new co-host for the K-12 part. And that's my colleague, Jenny Abamu, who is super talented and thoughtful. So stay tuned for her work next week. And I'll be back in two weeks. We'll keep switching off like that. Um, Send along suggestions for either of us to feedback at edsurge.com. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. Until next time, thanks for listening.